to be moving in camp was Daryl. He had taken off. And I was I was awake about just before seven, but I didn't want to get out of bed because it was still forty degrees, forty something inside that trailer. And I got out about seven fifteen or so, and nobody was moving. And I thought this would be a great time. What happened back when I was in Air Force at basic training at five o'clock in the morning? You have Reveille. I said, boy, now, if I had a big speaker, I could play Reveille this morning. Of course, Charlotte said, you better run when you do it. <laughs> I don't know. Last year, to me, in the morning, you got up and there was Will out there cooking and Greg and Rachel were out there cooking and Charnel was cooking some coffee and Daryl come stumbling out and he was looking for coffee and I got out nobody's moving. What is this? We just seem like we're all wore out, I guess. And this is only the middle of the feast. <laughs> anyway, it's still an enjoyable time. I, I was able to get out and stand up in my back porch and watch the moon. You know, you see this light glow over the mountain. And you watch it. And it doesn't take but about ten minutes and there's this ball sitting right on top of the mountain. But then it goes up in the air again. So, But it is beautiful. I'm glad I'm able to be here. I'm glad that my family is here. And I look out. I wish the rest of them could be here. But some can't. Some are still waiting to be their eyes opened up where they should be. <laughs> That's my thinking. My thinking and God's isn't always the same, so... You know, we, we've done that for the years that I've been in the church. We've always decided what we want God to do. He doesn't do it. It just doesn't seem like he, He's willing to follow what we want happening. So here we are. Uh, I can remember back in... Uh, we first came in the church in 62... Uh, 60, we started listening in 62, started attending in 63... And um, I can remember the pastor at the time saying, you know, you're only going to go through one time of release. You're going to go through two third tithe years and one, one year of release, and then we're going to go to a place of safety. Well, that was in 72 and 82 and 92 and 2002, and we're still <laughs> waiting to find out, is it me that's holding it back? Is the church holding it back? Or maybe God's got a different little plan than what we think. Anyway, it's good to be here on the feast. Uh, I'm going to continue what I started because I had about 30 pages. And uh, I'm down to nine. I doubt if I'll get through it, but I could. I I started last week, uh, last first day of Feast of Tabernacles because my thoughts were on on me and how much I lack. And so I said, this is about me. If it helps you, okay. Hopefully it does. You know, maybe we... Anyway, I, I was bringing out working toward how to become humble and things that we need to do to develop humble... To, 
developed in our life that we can become humble. And I was the first sermon I was wanting to relate how we have to pattern our life after Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, who was God. We know we go to John chapter 1 and we read it. It was Christ who did all the creation underneath the direction of the Father. At that time, up until Christ came, we really didn't know the Father. We knew the Lord. We knew the Savior. We, we knew of God who talked with uh, Adam and Eve and Moses and Noah and others throughout the centuries, but we really never knew God the Father. So Christ came and then we learned who the Father was. And so in, Ma- in John 1 it says, Christ, who was the Word, created everything, and everything was created by Him and for Him. And so He then was willing to give up everything. Everything. Because, you know, in, in Psalms it says, He owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns all the gold and all the silver and all the people. All that belongs to Christ. And yet, he gave all that up, became a human being. He took the form of a human being, who was in the form of God anyway, but he gave up everything to be a flesh and blood human being and to show us that he was willing to humble himself that point to help other people, to become what? God too. And Christ, Paul was able to tell us that Christ didn't think it was robbery to be equal to God. So can we think it's robbery to say we're equal to God? That's why I read uh, Romans chapter 8 where it says, You are sons and daughters of God if His Spirit dwells within you. So if we have God's Spirit with inside us, then we are equal with God. Maybe we're not going to have God's position. Not maybe, it's a fact. The Father will always be the Father. Just like a family, and it's all through the Bible. From Genesis through Revelation, there's this thread that goes through of a family. Carried through the whole Scriptures. There's a lot of things carried through, but that's one of them. That God will always be the Father. Christ will always be the, the husband. And the church, at the resurrection, the first resurrection, is going to be the wife. Those that come into the family after that will never be the wife. And they won't be the, son, uh, the, the husband and they won't be the father. They will be the children. But for us is offered to be the wife. Fantastic. Uh, I think of that when I look at, at being humble and how much my wife has helped me through the years and how much the wife of Christ is going to have to help him for all eternity. So I wanted to bring out the fact that Christ set us an example of being willing to give up everything to be a human 
and to set us the example of how we should live. And we are told we should pattern our life after Christ. Remember at the Passover, he washed the feet of the disciples, and Peter said, you ain't washing my feet. You you are the master. You're not going to wash my feet. But Christ said, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And he said, if I am the master, if I am the teacher, if I am God, and I wash your feet, you need to pattern your life after me and be willing to get on your knees, or whatever it takes, to serve my people. So we go to uh, Matthew 25, and it says, The way you treat uh, your brothers and sisters, you human beings, the family, the bride, the way you treat the bride is the way you're going to treat me. And that's a difficulty. Because Christ said, I serve. He said, I help. I came here to be the leader. But I also came here to set an example that you should be willing to not say, I am the greatest. So, one of the points that I brought out last week was to try to show uh, the difference between pride and humility. So, I went through a whole series of things that explains, you know, you can have pride and think that you're serving. And I think one of the, to me, maybe not to others, but to me, in... 1 Corinthians 13, the first three verses, has a a tendency to show pride. I give all I have. I have all this knowledge. I have all these things. But I don't have humility or love, God-type love. Willing to get down on my knees and wash your feet. Getting on put my things, my personal things aside. What I brought out, the difference between pride is all about me as opposed to it's all about you. Helping you to become God. And how much do I do to do that? So there is a difference between pride and humility as much as there is a difference between dark and light. Christ came into the world and brought the light. Brought and showed us how we should do these things. So today I want to go through a few points on how we can take our life and develop humility to be like Christ. Things that we can do and, and take the time to look into our own personal life. It's not, I can't look at you and judge you, which it's easy to do, you know. Especially when I'm the greatest around, see, I can look out there and see all of your faults, you know. But that's not what we're doing. We're to be like Christ, who tries to emphasize and build you up on a positive aspect to see that you are going to be the bride of Christ. So he humbled himself and said, I do this, now you need to do it. Let's start by going to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6, and start in verse 1. Because we're learning, we need to learn how to to help each other and to serve each other. Galatians 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault. Now, you've got to think. 
it wasn't a deliberate. It's not saying that he pre-planned all this thing and premeditated, but he was taken over in a fault, a person. Look at Eve. What happened to Eve? She knew these things, but Satan came by and he was very subtle. He has a way to manipulate and being a human, a lot of times we're easily manipulated. So here's a person who made a mistake, who slipped up, knew better, but got caught, peer pressure or whatever it was, and pulled them down. And you, which are spiritual, speaking to the church, speaking to those that know what God wants. So he says, you who are really fully fixed in the Spirit of God, you know the truth. He said, you which are spiritual, restore such a one to the Spirit in meekness. A willingness to, hey, I want to help you make a change. You made a mistake, but I'm not condemning you because I don't have that right. The Father does that right. Christ has that right. But here you slipped in a moment of weakness. So now I want to help you through a a right spiritual training. I'm willing to help you see your faults. Remember uh, Nathan the prophet with David helped him see his faults. So here you restore such a one in meekness. Why? Considering yourself. Because, you know, like I said in Matthew 25, if we treat each other harshly, we're treating Christ harshly. Do you want to be treated harshly? So you need to consider, maybe I might make a mistake. Do I want to be treated, just come down on me with five feet or whatever? Do I want to be beat down? Or would I like to have somebody at least have enough compassion and love to help me see my mistakes? So he says, consider yourself. Lest you be tempted. Lest you be caught up in a moment of weakness. So, here we're told we're going to learn to be at least humble enough to help somebody else and have the love and compassion. Bear you one another's burdens, in verse 2, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law of Christ. Love God above everything and love your neighbor as yourself. If a man thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. So if you cannot see your way to help somebody else, you think, I'm above them. That's one of the things of pride. I'm better than the rest. I can do it. You can't. So if you think yourself, and that's why you've got to get away from the, the, the satanical thinking, human thinking of this world, and get to thinking God's way. If you think you're better than anybody else, if Christ would have said, hey, I'm better than the rest of these people, I created them. That's not his thoughts. His thoughts were, I want to bring them 
into the family. But let every man, verse 4, prove his own works. You need to take and know that you know what God wants from you. You need to prove your works daily. You were told to get up and pray. What did David do? He asked God daily, help me through this day. He prayed three times a day. He understood that he needed God's help to do it and do it God's way. Prove your own works and then have rejoicing in yourself. Because then you can look and think, I have proved to the Father that I can do it His way. Then you can rejoice in yourself and not in another. You know, this person did it for me. No. I did these things because I love God and want to do it His way. Every man shall bear, Paul pointed out, as Christ inspired him, every man's going to bear his own burdens. The way you live your life is the way you're going to have to answer to the Father. The Father is to judge. We like to judge each other because it's kind of a thing of pride, you know. I'm better than the rest. But that's not God's will. That every man that is taught in word communicate with him that teaches in good things. So as we're taught from the Scriptures, and I think, you know, teachers, sometimes we're saying we're preaching. Maybe it's not just preaching, it's teaching. Maybe we're trying to teach ourselves and teach others to love God and to love each other. And so it's a teaching process. Some of us teach different than others. So if we are, if we're able to, you go to the ones teaching and, you know, show them, uh, how much you are learning. How much they've helped you. And be not deceived. God won't be mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that's he going to reap. So if you sow uh, pride, you're going to reap. Your reward is not going to be what you really want. So the way you live your life again, it's saying, that's what you're going to be judged on. Everyone's going to come in front of the Father. The church is being judged right now. The way you live your life, you are being examined by Christ right now. For he that sows to the flesh shall reap the flesh. Corruption. There is no way today. If we're, if we're sowing only physical things to gain physical life, it's not going to profit us. But he that sows to the Spirit shall reap everlasting life. So that's what we want to work toward. We want to work toward being like Christ and setting our life in that way. And let us not be weary in well-doing. It's hard sometimes. You get out there and you help people and you help people and you get tired and and you don't want to help anymore. But that's not what Christ is saying through Paul. Don't be weary in well-doing. Just keep doing it. When you come to that point that you've done all you think you can, you go farther. You 
you serve a little bit more. So don't be weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. Don't give up. He's saying, Paul's saying, just don't give up. There's something far better in the future for you. You just have to keep plugging along. As we have, therefore, opportunity. As the opportunity is afforded to each one of us. We therefore have opportunity. Let us do good to all people. Every time you get a chance, you have to have the opportunity to do good to everyone, especially unto those that are of the household of faith. So when you have an opportunity to those who love God, it's saying, those that are serving God, those that are trying to do it, do more. Help them even to the most part. Matthew 20. So we have an opportunity to look like Christ. And we're commanded to do that. We're asked to do it. I mean, sometimes, you know, like I brought out the difference between pride and humility. Uh, we just sometimes can't have somebody else tell me what to do. I already know it. Well, do you? Are you really doing it that way? Here Christ is speaking, says, But Emmanuel called unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and that they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it is not so among you. Christ is telling us what we should do. It will not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister or servant, as it goes on. Let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Sometimes it's difficult, isn't it? You think you have a position and you don't. uh, You don't want to put yourself down to that point that you're serving other people. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but minister, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. So I ask myself, am I willing to give my life for this world? To get them the opportunity to be a part of the God family. I remember Moses coming down from the mountain and they're having all this and God said because they're, they're, they've just gone away. I mean, they've just blown everything. They're having this, this party and they're not serving me and they're worshiping, doing all the wrong things. And God said, or Christ said to Moses, stand aside, I'll wipe all these people out and build a whole nation from you. And what did Moses do? tore his clothes and said, take my life, my eternal life, and spare them. So that's the point that we have to come to. Paul said the same thing too. He would give up eternity that his family could be a part of the God family. And that's what God's asking for us. And that's how you learn to be humble enough to say, hey, I'll help whatever way possible that they can just be a part of the God family.
1 Peter 5. We'll start an examination to learn to to learn how to be humble. The first point I've got is evaluating yourself. And maybe it's the overall point of go all the way through on it. But it's a self-examination point. You have to understand who you are, not the other person. You have to examine who I have to say to myself, and I'm coming to see that more often, that I have to say, well, who are you? Why are you? So it's a self-examination, not examining somebody else. 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you younger. So it could be younger spiritually and younger physically. Sometimes we have some younger uh, people in their 30s or 20s that are very deep spiritually. And we have others who might be 50, 60, 70 just coming into the knowledge of truth, then they would be younger too. They would be younger spiritually as opposed to somebody who's grown up learning the truth of God. So he says, likewise, you younger, submit yourselves to the elders. That's a difficulty sometimes. It's a difficulty to submit to those that God has given an opportunity to, to be a spiritually older and physically older. So submit yourself to the elders. Yes, all of you sub, uh, be subject one to another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud and gives space to the humble. So that's a difficulty, isn't it? Sometimes it's... as, And I've been in the church where there were some of the younger ministers coming out of college in you know, I might have been 5, 10, 15 years older. And you say, well, wait a minute. Why should I listen to this person? Why should I let him teach me? Because, but Paul, I mean Peter, was inspired to write, submit to them because God set them there for that purpose. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. See, God is in charge. I don't care whether... Uh, whether you're older or younger or where you are, God is in charge. You know, we can look down on this government. We can look down on the governments of this world. We can look down on different leaders. God put them in that position. We talked a little bit about that this morning, how this country is having difficulties. Uh, Darrell pointed out, I think, uh, yesterday or the day before, he said that the rottenness in the country is not just the leadership. It's the people. All of us. What happened to the church of God? We want to blame the leadership. We want to blame the ministry. But that's not where the problem fell. It fell with us as an individual. We were rotten. We were Laodicean. We had walked contrary to God. So we can't blame the olders. We can't blame someone else. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. God blew the church apart. God's blowing the country apart. Because we just do not, as a people, 
honor God. That he may exalt, uh, exalt you in due time. If we humble ourselves to that point, God will give us. He will raise us up and give us the respect that the people are going to have to come to you and say thank you for your service. Cast your care, cast your cares upon the Father and upon Christ, for He cares for you. God's love is so great that He cares by each and every one of us and what we do. So I have a few questions in this self-examination. I want you to look at your own life and ask these questions of yourself. I mean, I bring them out, but they're for a self-examination to find out how you stand in a relationship with each other. Are you willing to get on your knees? Are you willing to put your things aside to help someone else? First one, do you consider yourself superior to others? And, uh, you know, it's sometimes I've done that. Maybe not openly, but in action. Do you consider yourself superior to other people? Do we as a church consider ourselves superior to the rest of the world? You know, God called us. We have God's knowledge. Are we superior to the rest of the churches of God? Because we have a better understanding to, about the Passover, about the calendar, about atonement that the rest of them don't? Is that something that we say, hey, we're better than the rest of the church? Or are we? Second question. Do you think you still need to read and study the Bible in order to understand better the will of God in your life? We have the book of Revelation, don't we? Chapter uh, 2 and 3 covers the whole scenario of the church. And the last area of church is called the Laodiceans, who said, I don't need any more. I already got it all. I'm already the greatest. Why should I have to study? But what did God say through Paul? I mean, through uh, John. He said, you don't have it all. You don't know all the answers. And now you have to go out and buy gold tried in a fire. You have to analyze your own life. Do I have it all? No. So do I need to study the Bible? You bet. We learn things all the time by reading the Bible and by those that God sets up as teachers because God reveals through the teachers things that we need to know. Sometimes we sit back and say, well, I already know that. I've heard that. I've been in church since, been baptized since 64. I have heard that time and again through the years. I know that. Why are they teaching me those things? Yet Paul said in Hebrews chapter 5, you know, I come here to you Hebrews, I want to give you strong meat. And what do I find? I need to go back and teach you the basics again. 
So here these people are saying, we got it. We know it all. I know it. What are you preaching that for? Because you need the basics. You still haven't learned everything. You haven't come down to the point to say, I know it. Well, you do say that. I know it. I know it. Why? Is he, why? I don't need to hear that. I know it. I know that answer. You want to do something? No, I know it. Do we need to study the Bible? That's the second, second question. Third question. Ask yourself. Evaluating your life and how you stand in relationship with Christ. Do you ask God daily to help you face the trials of life? Oh, I know we can get up. I can get up. Get caught aside and not get down and say, I need God's help and then something happens. And then I, I can not control my thinking or my actions and I, uh, I do things wrong. Uh, did I ask God that morning, uh, Father, uh, I need more of your spirit to guide my thinking that I will control my mouth, I will control my actions, I will do things in a way that will honor you. And I can do things right. So do I ask daily, help me face the trial that's going to come on me so I don't faint and fall away? Fourth question. Do you feel put out when someone asks you to do something because they have a job or a position? Did it bother you? Who is that person to ask me and, and require me to do this? For anybody. Not just somebody that you consider because you're judging people. You know, I, I look out people and say, well... You know, I've got 22 years in electronics, so I know more about this than anybody else. Do I? Uh, I've been a welder. I've been a ditch digger. You know, I can dig the best and straightest ditches and the deepest and the quickest than anybody else. There was a song that uh, I remember, uh, Limelighters, not Limelighters, of the, the street sweeper in San Francisco. He was so great, he, could, he was the best street sweeper around. And he went in a competition with the automatic sweep street, uh, street sweeper. And it would sweep up the stuff. And he was winning, it says, until a parade came by of horses and <laughs> he lost. It's sad, but, but, you know, we look down on people and, and we judge people that way. He's nothing more than a street sweeper or a ditch digger or, or whatever, you know, because I've got a better background than somebody else. So, do you feel put out because maybe that street sweeper said, if you would sweep it this way, it would be better? Does it bother you? Would that bother you? I have to ask that self your question. And this is leading toward how humble are you? Would you be willing as uh, the person who 
has a certain job to have somebody who you consider less than you to tell you how to do it. How humble are you? That's why we bring these questions out. For uh, Question number five. Are you really uh, conscious of the fact that all you have belongs to God? I mean, is that... That's a, a point to really think about. Anything you have, including your life, you have it because God gave it to you. You are here not because you are uh, the greatest scholar or the greatest studier or, or thinker or whatever it is. No, you're only here because God, in His ultimate wisdom, realizes that you have something that He can do and you're here because He brought you here. He's given you everything you have. So am I conscious to that fact? It's not me, but it is God. Six, did you yield this week to the will or opinion of somebody else? That's hard, isn't it? Hey, yeah, that's a good idea. Or, yeah, I can change my ways... Because their, their ideas were a lot better than mine. Am I willing to admit that? On the other side of that would be, did you push your will on somebody else? So, are you willing to let somebody help you? Or are you, I know it answers, and you force people to do it your way. So, that's, that's the other side of that question number six. Number seven, do you feel good when you help somebody? Anybody. Do you feel good that you were able to help somebody else? Eight, when you have a misunderstanding with another person, and this is a difficult one for me and, and all, and, and I'm sure others too, when you have a misunderstanding, you know, this is talking about Matthew 18. So you've got this misunderstanding with somebody else. Do you find it difficult to say, hey, I forgive you, or please forgive me for what I've done? So the misunderstanding, maybe it's them to you or you to them. Are you willing to say, hey, I'm sorry, can you forgive me? This is true way to approach Matthew 18. We have a difficulty. Are we willing to, to seek their forgiveness and their help? Number nine, did you hurt someone with your words this week? You know, we talk about murder and stealing and, and breaking God's laws and the physical aspects of it but what about the verbal aspects? Can you put somebody down just by not thinking? That's why I said these things help me to think my life. So I have to judge me. Did I put somebody down in any way this week? Give it a lot of thought there. And number ten, do you feel bad when you do good deeds, when you've done something good, but nobody sees, 
or nobody recognizes you did it. Does it bother you that you have an opportunity to help others, but you don't get the recognition that you want? That's part of that self-evaluation, that first point. You can add to that, uh, are you willing to acknowledge your limitations? So you have these questions, you can go through them, but can you acknowledge that you are limited? You have limitations in your life. Uh, I know I finally come to this point to say, hey, I've got this 35, 40, 45, 50 year old mind, but I got a 76 year old body and it just doesn't function. So there is a limitation, isn't there? I can remember at 45 throwing 90 pounds of honey over my head. Uh, I can't do that. I don't even think I can pick up 90 pounds. So there are limitations. Am I willing to acknowledge I have those limitations? When it comes down to getting somebody else to help you with something, can you say, right, I do have limitations. I do need help. I am willing to submit to someone else's help? Or do I sit back and say, if I do it, I'm going to make a mistake. And if I don't do it, I won't make a mistake. So actually, I'm afraid to do whatever it is I'm going to do because... And, and I worked with a fellow that way back in, in Wellex in, in Houston. That he'd get a project, but he was so afraid he would make a mistake, it took him three and sometimes four weeks before he even started the project because he was always afraid he's going to make a mistake. Am I that way? Do I acknowledge I have limitations? I can't do it. I can't accomplish it. I do need some help. So, am I willing to say, in acknowledging my limitations, that... I will go to someone else and get the help. Proverbs 15.22 tells us, Without counsel, uh, purposes are disappointed. So when you think you can do it all yourself, but you don't recognize you don't have the ability, the, the outcome is disappointment. But with a multitude of counselors... There are, a thing is established. So by getting counsel and help, you can accomplish different tasks. Again, you have to be willing to accept that help, don't you? You have to be willing to say, there's somebody else that can guide me and help me. And I remember back with the same person that was afraid, he would come in, and eventually, after about three weeks, and I'd go by his office and say, how are you doing? And he'd say, well, I'm still trying. To... And I'd say, why don't you do it this way? Well, you could make a mistake. Yeah, right. I could make a mistake, but I, at least I'm going to get something started. <laughs> but there are ways to do it. So, are you willing to get help. Uh, in the new literal translation of that same verse in uh, Proverbs 15, says, plans go wrong 
for lack of advice. And many counselors bring success. Because there's a lot of people with a lot of good knowledge if we're willing to accept it. Another point in learning, evaluating ourselves on whether we are humble enough or not is, is first to acknowledge we have limitations and then to understand our limitations. Understand you cannot do it. Just like I said, uh, I can't pick up 90 pounds now. I'm still same tall height. It's just age has this problem that just eats on you. <laughs> so you find somebody younger and stronger. Matthew 5, verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Limitations. Poor in spirit. The new literal translation would be, God blesses those who realize their needs for Him. You know, we can't become God without God's help. You can't do it. So, God blesses those that realize we need Him daily. Come to Him and say, Forgive me, a sinner. Help me make the change. Help me see the faults I have. So, I need Him. For the kingdom of heaven is given to them, to those that seek God. So, do I have all it takes to be a part of the kingdom of God? Only with God's help. Only with the help of God. Proverbs chapter 3. Solomon, writing, says, My son, forget not my law. The Father is saying that to you. Christ is saying that to us. Forget not your law, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall be added to you. My limitations uh, are, I can't, can't have eternal life or long life without Christ. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them about your neck and write them upon the tablets of your heart. So shall you find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and people. Limitations. You need Christ. You need God. Trust in the eternal with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. Your limitations, if you lean on your own understanding, can put you in the wrong place. In all your ways, acknowledge God and Christ, and He shall direct your path so that you do it right. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the eternal and depart from evil. You see, if we don't have God leading us and directing us, we're just not going to make it. You have a limitation. You cannot understand God's way of life and do it His way without His help. You are limited in those areas. Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. 
and here in verse 26. If a man comes to me and hates not his father and his mother, his wife, his children, his brethren, and sister, yes, and his own life, he cannot be my disciples. Our limitations are putting Christ first. Without that, we cannot be the disciples of Christ. The disciple is a student of Christ. You will never be a student of Christ if you can't put everything else aside. But we live in a society today, at least in this country, that everything we have is geared to pulling us farther away from Christ. And, and I mean everything, whether it be the TV or the music or the uh, activities. Uh, everything is designed to keep you pulled into a, a, a society of, of fantasy because it's not real. Even the news programs are not... They're, they're news programs. They're not the news. They're things that they put together to keep you in the direction they want you to go. So everything is there to pull us away. We have to be willing to put all of that away. That's why Christ says in Matthew what, 6.33, Seek you first the kingdom of God. That's got to be the first of our life. And then everything else that you need is going to be given to you. But God and Christ and their way of life has to be first and foremost in your life. Because society is to pull you away. To take you away from God. And whosoever does not bear his cross, his burden, his uh, lot that God has set in front of you, and come after me, cannot be my disciples, cannot be my students. If we're not willing to, to put everything aside and take what, what has happened to us, put to us, we can't be his, his students. For which of you, tending to build a tower, sits not down first and counts the cost whether you have sufficient to finish it? God brought you into this way of life. Have we sat down and really thought... I have certain limitations. The biggest one is, I need God. Without God, I cannot build this body to be like Christ. Lest happily, after he has laid the foundation, hey, I started saying, you know, we've got the parable of the, of the, the grower. The seed fell on the rock and, or, or by the wayside and the birds took it away. Those people just... Never had a chance. It just never got any ground. There's some that fell on a rock and got a little moisture and put out some growth. But the sun came out. A trial, uh, a temptation, a test, and they just didn't have the, their feet in deep ground enough to, to be able to withstand it. And then there were those that fell on out there in the weeds. And they started growing and they started producing fruit and they were really going strong. But society around them pulled them away. Limitations. I'm limited by my surroundings. I'm limited by where I put my mind. 
If my mind is here with Christ in the Scriptures, I'm going to, and, and I'm planted deep in it, and I've gotten rid of the weeds and the grass and everything that chokes out the truth. And there's some that fell on good ground that had their feet planted and they really produced fruit. But that fruit comes through the Spirit of God. So lest happily, after you laid that foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold, it began to mock him. You know, we've laid a foundation. We've laid a foundation here. We've laid a foundation when we were called. We laid and we were baptized and we started growing. Are we going to let the weeds and the tares and the stuff pull us aside? You are limited by your mind. That's what limits you. Where you put your thoughts, or whether you put God first, Christ first, God's way of life first, or what's best for me, what I like to do. And I know when I look back on some of the Feast of Tabernacles and some of the people, their thoughts were not God first. And yet we know, we've heard it first to the Feast, we read it in Zechariah, we come here to what? Entertainment? We come here for uh, whatever? Or did we come here to worship the King, the Lord of hosts? That has to be number one. And when that's number one, the rest of it's going to be added to us. So have we laid the right foundation? Are we growing or are we going to let it disappear? Because we've seen people walk away. We've seen people walk away over the years. And we look out there and we feel sad toward them saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, goes on in verse 31, going to make war against another king, sits not down first and uh, considers whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him that comes against him with 20,000. So it's a matter of coming to understand your limitations. One is building up the temple, which is God's Spirit in you, or whether it's going out to battle, or whether it's whatever it is. Your limitation still becomes what's in your mind and your capabilities. And if you don't have all that you need, you're going to fail. So it comes down to a point to ask yourself, where do I draw the line in the sand? Am I going to go God's way? All the way? And when there's a trial, I go to God on my, my knees to say, recognizing the fact that, hey, I am limited in my abilities. I need your help. David many times told God, guard my mind, guard my mouth, guard my thoughts, my actions. Help me to do it your way. He understood his limitations. He couldn't do it without God. So, do we have that line in the sand? I'm going to go all the way, no matter what. Or am I going to walk away? 
Am I going to trust myself and think I can do it all? Part of that self-evaluation and whether I can be willing enough to get down on my knees and say, Yes, Lord, I am weak, is to recognize my faults. It takes a lot of effort. If I'm going to be humble enough to say, I have mistakes, I am faulty in different areas, recognizing in your own mind, in your own attitudes, of what you fall short on. Proverbs 29, 23. A man's pride shall bring him low. Do I have pride? That's why I went through the difference between pride and being humble. If I got pride, I'm not humble. Pride will bring me low. It will wipe me out. But honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. So if you're willing to go to God and say, Whatever it is, I will do it. And if it is to change somebody's diaper or to pick up some rocks or to have someone say, I would like you to do it this way, but you think, who is that person to tell me that? So, you know, you have to think, my faults are I've got pride. My faults are I am this or my faults are I am that. We have to recognize and understand that. Job chapter 12, 40, verse 12. Job said, Look on everyone that is proud and bring him low and tread down on the wicked in their places. So here, Job understood pride is a is really a difficult thing. You can never be humble if you've got so much pride that it just does away with you. Deuteronomy chapter eight. I won't get I won't do it as go over there or there, but Deuteronomy chapter eight it seems here in verse one says, All the commandments which I command you Moses speaking to the people I command you this day, shall you observe to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. God wants us to keep His commandments. And uh, are my faults the kind that will try to cover up some of these commandments or to take the... You know, try to justify my mistakes when I make them. I thought that last night sitting there thinking my part and my effort in the church before it collapsed was I kind of took an easy side. I kind of justified maybe fudging on a Sabbath or fudging on church or fudging on tithing or fudging on this. You know, I have to sit there and say, I can't blame somebody else. That was my fault. That was my fault that that happened. And you shall, verse 2, remember all the ways which the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness to what? 
He gave them trials. He gave them tests. He tested them to see, are you going to do it my way? Forty years to humble them. He wanted them to say, yes, Lord, I will do it your way. And to prove you to know what was in your heart. So sometimes we have tests that we wonder, why am I being tested this way? Because God wants to know what's in your heart. He wants to know who you are. Or wants you to know who you are. God knows who we are. He wants us to know who we are. He wants us to find who we are. Whether you will keep His commandments or not. It took Job quite a while, didn't it? Before he found out who he was. I certainly don't want to go through Job's testing. I don't want to go through all the heartache and things that Job had to go suffer when he lost his family, he lost everything he owned, and then lost his physical health. Didn't die, but he lost his physical health. And here in verse 42, chapter 42, I'm sorry, verse 1 of Job, Job says, Then Job answered God and said, I know that you can do everything. Wow. Do I know that God can do everything? And that no thought can be hidden from you. Wow. Can I have secret thoughts that God doesn't know about? Or can I say, yeah, um, I certainly do. Who is he that hides counsel without knowledge? You know, God... Job looked out there and looked at himself and says, Who can go out here? Talking to himself, can I hide counsel and hide my thoughts and my actions and everything from God? Therefore, I have uttered that I understood not. Job said, Look, I've been saying things that I really didn't understand about, and things that were too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech you, and I will speak. I will demand of you and declare you unto me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. Been in church? Oh, here. Job was really, had heard all about God. Have you? If you're in a church, how many years have you been around? So you heard of God with the hearing of your, of your ear. But now Job says, My eyes see you. He finally came to the point where he was able to understand his limitations. It was hard. He went through a lot. He had a lot of friends that pointed out his mistakes. And he tried to justify his actions. But now he comes to the point after Christ puts him down and shows him. And he says, now with my eyes I see you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Can you see your limitations? Do you know how far you can go or not? Or do you, like the Laodiceans, sit up there and say, 
I know it all. I don't need any more. I don't need to come to church. I don't need to have a preacher. I don't need these things. And God says, yes, you do. In fact, you need it so bad that now you're going to have to go out there and really go after it. Matthew 25 again, ten virgins. Five of them said, hey, I got it all. I don't need any more. But when the bridegroom came, they didn't have anything. And they were told to go out there and buy gold, try in the fire. It means you're going to have to go out there and you're going to have to go through a lot of pressure to finally get down on your knees and say, I worship you. I worship you. David made a mistake. Like I brought out there at first in Galatians. He was a human. He made a mistake. He fell short of a mark. He was a man. He liked ladies, liked women. And he was caught up in a mistake. And God, through His mercy, sent Nathan the prophet and told him a story. Nathan came loving David and doing God's will and pointed out his mistakes, his fault. And in Psalm 51, David repented. And God wrote that for us to see that there is love and concern if we finally wake up to the fact that we have faults that we can then do as David did and get down and say, my sin is against you and you only, Father. I am weak. I've got these weaknesses and these faults. I am weak and come short of the glory of God. I'm going to hit one more point here before I close, and that is we have a tremendous opportunity And that is, if we're going to be humble, we need to look out and count our blessings. You know, they used to sing a Protestant song, count your blessings, name them one by one. It's a good idea. I don't know what you consider as a blessing. I wrote down a few uh, called into this family. I count that as a tremendous blessing. Having a loving wife is a tremendous blessing. One who has stood beside me, who has made my mistakes work, who has given up a lot. She's given a lot of her life, and I count that as a fantastic blessing. Maybe I don't always look at it that way, but my wife is a huge blessing to me. My health Basically, it's pretty good. I count that as a blessing too. And that's a blessing from God. I have a good car, a good house. I have a huge family. Twenty-some grandchildren. Seven, eight, going to be eight or nine, something like that. Great-grandkids. Fantastic blessing. Can I look out there and say, thank you, Father? 
and get down on my knees and thank each one of you for being part of my family. If, if you are my family, and if you have a family, are you willing to serve your family? So we need to count our blessings. I don't know what you count as your blessings. There'd be a lot of them. But you're my blessing. Being here is a blessing. Being called by God and given an opportunity to be a servant and a part of the bride and to be able to help bring on God's whole plan of salvation. My part in it. So, when we look at being humble, there's more points can be brought out. But take those to heart. Think about those questions and see how they fit in your life. And see if you, as a person, are full of pride or being humble. Are you being like Christ or are you caught up in this world? Each one of us has that responsibility to do it on our own life.